3: The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center Podcast Feed. I'm Ken Napsug for another edition of Force Center, the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet, and it is just two captains today. <laughs> it is me and Joseph Scrimshaw.
2: I am happy to be here on the Star Destroyer.
3: Yeah, we're here today. Jennifer uh, is uh, not on the show today simply because uh, we're going to go deep diving into Empire's End. That's right. And her being a, a busy a busy lady, um, you know, is, is uh, does not want to be spoiled in Empire's End yeah. yet.
2: Yeah, she's going to check it out, but so far I think she's had time
3: to appreciate the cover, which is lovely. <laughs> you know, the Aftermath covers are some of the best covers in the new canon yeah, books. Series. they're solid. So we're going to be diving into that. Uh, you may have had a chance to read the book already. We hope you have, because we'd like to, you to stick around for our review and discussion and theories and uh, discussions on Lumpy, all the things <laughs> we got going on in Empire's And Before that, though, we do want to discuss some of the news, because there's some interesting notes uh, coming out in Star Wars news right now, Joseph. So let's dive on in. Yeah. Um, this story here uh, was expected. I don't think anyone didn't think this was going to happen, but it's nice to have it officially confirmed. There will be a fourth season. Of Star Wars Rebels Excellent uh, Lucasfilm officially announced The fourth season of Star Wars Rebels And it is in production uh, Which is again Animation is way ahead So <laughs> you would have hoped That's the case And there uh, will be more details and announcements about the four-season at, you guessed it, Star Wars Celebration. So, uh, number one, uh, that's uh, that's good news. Yeah. We always want Star Wars content on there. Uh, There's no secret Joseph and I have kind of been, at times, up and down at Rebels. Rebels and Rebels. (laughs) Um, But uh, we both love the show.
2: Yeah. And this is good news. Yeah, absolutely. And I did see some uh, discussion floating about how long will Rebels last? And I feel like in the general Star Wars talking-o-sphere, there is mm-hmm. much more bubbling about what's next, what's next.
3: This is kind of the question that is, uh, is being asked in all the uh, Star Wars media discussion points. And so I'll ask you first, Joseph. Final season? Do you want two more? I'd be fine with two
2: more. I don't think there should be more than that. Right. Because I think especially what we're seeing now, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're recording on on a Sunday, Saturday, uh, Mm -hmm. just broadcast the Mon Mothma episode. Which was a great episode. A great episode of Rebels. A lot of them have been great. But a lot of it does feel like uh, wrapping things up and moving Mm -hmm. to their logical conclusion. So I don't think there could possibly be more than two more seasons. Right. It might be okay if this is the last season, especially if they're already
3: cooking something new. Right, and, and, and I, there is going to be a show coming up behind this. I'm sure we'll get that announcement soon, if not a Celebrations. And I, for I for one, was all on board the five-season train. That That's yeah. what I thought I remember hearing announced, and, you know, things, the news and rumors kind of all meld into one at one point. So, uh, this fourth season being the final one, that idea, I actually really like, because I'll look at, like, Game of Thrones. Um, season seven's going to be only seven episodes. kind of disappointing for a big fan like me, yeah. but if the producers are saying, we only need seven to tell our story, then I'm Going to trust them to do it and not uh, just throw a bunch of uh, filler out, and that that, yeah. that word gets tossed around. And I know it maybe might offend some ears inside Lucasfilm because I'm sure they put uh, love and care into every episode. I have no doubt about that. But yeah. Rebels has definitely seemed sometimes it meanders. Ezra Bridger's story. And I definitely get your thoughts on this, Joseph. Starts, is he going to go dark? Is this season about him becoming a dark Jedi or falling under the influence of, of Maul? It started that way, and now he's just kind of a plucky Y-Wing pilot.
2: Yeah, mm. it, yeah, and especially this last episode, it it really uh, invited you to think, Ezra's going to go the route of being a pilot. Will he <laughs> yeah. die in, over Scarif? Is right. that his fate? Right. Instead of going dark. So for sure, it, it does raise questions and then mm. drop them. Yeah. And then pick them up again. So it does uh, – I think sometimes there is a let's just have fun. Let's have a character study episode. But then other times it does feel like decisions are maybe being made and held off.
3: Yeah, and and look, we're all used to as a TV-going audience now to the Game of Thrones things, which I think was one of the big ones that changed it. Sopranos, I think, really changed the game. Where you're used to, 10 episodes, get the story done. I know Sopranos had more, but like – you know, Netflix series, the Marvel shows, it's like you got eight to ten to tell a story, and that's all we want, and that's great for binging. And Rebels is longer. Rebels is stretched out. So I, I get why they might be – anyone on that team would be insulted by the word filler because they're, they're having to tell these stories over long peri- longer periods of time and seasons and episodes. So uh, yeah. I, I think four is fine.
2: Yeah, I think it might even be, like, uh, rather than filler, like, they are serving different audiences, and it comes across weird. So I think sometimes when they're doing, like, the straight-up canon, start to tie things together, some of the darker episodes bring characters back from Clone Wars, it appeals mm-hmm. to a certain audience. And when they have an episode where Zeb learns about friendship, that's <laughs> appealing to a different— uh, Why? We're going to be friends, I see. <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily filler. From From our perspective, it is. it feels like— Filler. Yes, but. I wonder if it isn't like we want to serve multiple audiences and we're kind of experimenting with how to do it in the first couple seasons.
3: That is the smart, intelligent, common sense, <laughs> balanced way to look at it, Joseph. You might not go far in the media discussion world. You no. might have to go back to Minnesota. Just let you know. We want hot takes. Hot uh, takes. With no common sense. My next comment will be so offensive, I promise. <laughs> um, do you think, Joseph, they're, they're, uh, they were padding until Rogue One came out? Because I think Rogue One did kind of change the need for a fifth season.
2: Yeah, Rogue One changed the game and when i was watching the mon mothma episode mm-hmm. last night and it mm-hmm. was really tying together yeah. some of the stuff that wasn't explicit in rogue one yeah that oh it took a while before the alliance was a military operation mm-hmm. and even in rogue one uh some people are still battling like sh- is there a political solution or not right and uh that episode with mon mothma I locked that storyline in and got it moving forward and I was like what is this What does this remind me of? I have a a nerd sense memory of this. And I was like, oh, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ah. waiting for Winter Soldier to come out and change the game and move their storytelling in a different direction. Right. And uh, like I just said, I'm not calling anything they did filler before, but I wonder if there was a point sometime in the development of the third season. Right. Or even late second season where they realized what Rogue One was going to mean, how they were going to connect. Yeah. And like, well, let's develop our characters. Let's really get to know them. And then towards season uh, three. Right. Uh, Yeah, we're in season three, so I misspoke before. But we're in season three, and now it's going to become we learn about the whole formation and history of the rebellion through these characters. Mm -hmm. Because before we just got that in bits and pieces. We learned about Fulcrum. We learned that there were different cells who didn't talk to each other. They kind of came together. But now it feels like we're on the train. Yeah. And we're just
3: blasting towards a new hope. Yeah, uh, it's great. And to, to, to sidestep a little bit into a, a little bit of that review of that episode, Joseph, I really want to get your take. And if you haven't heard or haven't watched that uh, Rebels episode uh, called Secret Cargo featuring Mon Mothma, uh, maybe stop now and go watch it. It's yeah. great. I think it is essential viewing and essential to the Star Wars story. And I'm happy that the Rebels crew got that responsibility and got that moment for all their hard work they've been doing the last couple of years. But the arrival of John Dutch Vander. Yeah. You like that? I do. <laughs> I did. It's one of the best animated renditions of a human character that, we're, that we know. It is really amazing to watch Revels just
2: to watch yeah. the strange exercise of animating the 70s, which is just what they're doing, especially yeah, the those legacy characters Yeah, the from episode Hope.
3: Uh, starts with uh, sideburns on an Imperial officer. It yep. was impressive. Yep. Most impressive.
2: A lot of mustaches. I squealed mm. like a little baby Yeah. At Dantooine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like one of those things I just didn't think about. Like, we got yeah. the classic line of, oh, Dantooine's an old base. Like, yeah. oh, we get to see him go to Dantooine. Yeah,
3: yeah. It was good stuff. It was good stuff. Uh, check it out. And uh, next story here is, you know, the Han Solo movies in production, Joseph. I don't know if you know that. I've heard. You've heard some stuff. <laughs> um, and Michael K. Williams. A lot of you may know him from The Wire. I love his work in Boardwalk Empire as Chalky White. Uh, Variety's reported that Michael K. Williams is uh, uh, in much and uh, much more. Sorry, I'm reading the story wrong. I'm reading your wonderful words wrong, <laughs> Joseph. Uh, he is in talks to join the Han Solo movie. Uh, we believe that the the cast would still be announced and expanded. Uh, that they're not, even though they're shooting, that's kind of the way it is in movies nowadays. You're two months into production, and they've just added so-and-so to the yeah. cast. Um, but uh, what do you think about this? Oh, I'm thrilled. I
2: love Michael K. Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love his work in The Wire, in Boardwalk Empire. He popped up in Community. He pops up a bunch of uh, great places. And I think uh, he brings a kind of uh, a mixture of gravitas in humor yeah. that I think is really right for Star Wars. And especially is, you know, we're going to get into this scoundrel world. Yeah. You know, he obviously he is an actor is very well aware that his super cool facial scar affects the way he's cast. I don't know. Obviously, he's aware of it. I don't know how he feels about it as a human (laughs) being. So I apologize if it's like a thing that is uh, sensitive to Michael K. Williams. But, you know, that it's great to bring that uh, that weight that he can bring to it like a scoundrel in the Star Wars galaxy is really exciting to me.
3: Yeah, I'm absolutely uh, uh, thrilled about this. Uh, like I said, I was a big fan of the series Boardwalk Empire, and he, he brought uh, something special to that show and, and to his role. Uh, I, I don't want to go into the mindset of speculating, but I can't help myself yeah. um, in my weird way. I'd want him to be Sena Staros' dad. Oh, nice. Nice. Because I still really, really want to make sure that the character of Santa Solo or Santa Staros is in this movie. Yeah. I still think it's going to happen. I still think it's there. Yeah. But I don't know. He could just be a smuggler scoundrel scum.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think my mind just gravitates to, especially like age-wise, that he is an older scoundrel who knows his way around and Han Solo mm. screws him over. And like, I, I, there's just something mm. exciting about imagining Michael K. Williams being not happy with Han Solo.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we'll hear more about that. And, again, I, I'm pretty sure, Joseph, and, and you and I can agree, that this cast is going to continue to grow.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to continue to grow uh, not only in numbers but hopefully in diversity, you know, and wanted to, to follow up on the discussion we had last week uh, about that photo mm-hmm. of the cast mm-hmm. that, that didn't feature a lot of diversity, and now hopefully we are going to continue to get it. And it's just a, it's a thing, I think, for us to – watch and be aware of that Lucasfilm appears to always be ready to squeeze the, the trigger on mm-hmm. early cast photos mm-hmm. that are not representative Yeah, and they maybe need to think about, yeah. is it worth it to get the excitement out yeah. or do they want to wait and show us the true full cast?
3: <laughs> yeah, wait Wait till Tandy can drive on over <laughs> <Exactly>. that day <laughs> and take a shot <laughs> with the rest of the crew. Um, but regardless, man, this Han Solo cast is shaping up to be pretty... Pretty big, pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of heavy hitters,
2: a lot of just power, uh,
3: and also a lot of
2: humor. Almost all of these actors... Are yeah. good at comedy as well, which makes me really excited. Yeah. That will have a wry, tongue in cheek sense of humor to a, a swashbuckling Ma- adventure. Michael Keaton
3: Williams is pretty serious in everything he does, but didn't he do it? Was it 30 Rock that he had a turn as a guest spot? Uh, community. Was it Community? Yeah. He yes. was a teacher on Community. Yes. And, and that he was, was very funny. <laughs> that was great because I played off his yeah. kind of persona as and well. And I,
2: I know I'm a weirdo, but Omar on the Wire is funny. Like Omar, God. the character has a sense of humor there, there and irony, you, you know?
3: There you go. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to the cast being. Uh, Round it out as it continues to grow during production. A Star Wars Battlefront sequel is on the way, as we know, and is said to be even better on a conference call. EA, uh, uh, that's Electronic Arts, CFO Blake Jorgensen, dropped some Y-Wing bombs about Battlefront 2. It'll be larger, have single-player, which we've heard about, more content from The Force Awakens and Rogue One. Uh, Joseph I am one of the last humans still playing. <laughs> and I appreciate a lot of you out there keep trying to find out what platform I play it on. I don't go online a lot with it. I yeah. do, but I go by myself. But I play a lot of the the uh, local co-op missions with my friend Jessica. So uh, uh, maybe one day we'll have a four Center play party. Yeah. But uh, keep trying. But, Joseph, uh, you have not played Battlefront as much as me. I have not. Which I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. I'm proud, proud of you. I'm ashamed. But will you buy
2: this? I might for the single player. Yeah. So I only played it oh, like once for four hours because yeah. as i have mentioned before i'm as i have video game addictions, <laughs> so i haven't hooked up any of my systems but uh, i really liked what i saw of mm-hmm. the first one and if it's a, there's a single player uh that's that's where my heart is i never got into playing online mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot uh so if i can just sit in my own home yeah. and you know be dengar shooting at ewoks yeah i'm, I'm gonna do that
3: yeah <laughs> Dengar shooting at Ewoks. Dengar's in the first Battlefront, but yeah, I don't think you can... He only you can't shows, shoot him? You can't he only shows him. up on uh, Cloud City uh, oh, in, that, okay. in that pack. To my knowledge. But, yeah, Dengar and Endor shooting Ewoks would be... uh, I'd just buy that game all by itself.
2: (laughs) Sorry for the Ewok hate. Jennifer isn't here to (laughs)
3: rein me in. I'm going to take out them (laughs) cuddly little bears. Joseph, though, do you think EA, uh, their expansion packs and their downloadable content, are are they robbing us of anything here? I don't
2: know. I feel so torn about that because on one
3: side uh, on one
2: hand I understand you're just like oh well they got some new ideas so a second game but it feels like you know you've played it a bunch yeah they're adding Rogue One content they're adding more characters
3: here in in Battlefront 2 couldn't they just make it downloadable that's what I was That's the thing. But I think they know, and I I know someone at EA, and they're aware of the game failing to a certain degree. Financially, you know, that's different. You know, Suicide Squad won an Oscar and did great at the box (laughs) office. So uh, EA is aware of all of our complaints. That's why they're making these changes. And I think it's good for them to just go, hey, here's Battlefront 2. We're starting over. Okay. You still might uh, have to pay. Okay. Okay, uh, but it was it, the video games have changed since you first started getting addicted, and I first <laughs> you know loaded my Commodore sixty four up yeah. and, and had to use HTML code to load these games. Um, <laughs> times have changed, and yeah, the day of uh, you know even ten years ago, paying sixty bucks for a game and that was it has changed. And the, the DLC stuff is is fun. A lot of the games that I play, uh, I don't again I don't play a lot of games, but you know Force Awakens Lego game had a cool DLC pack. Uh, the, a lot of the wrestling games I play, cool updates and stuff. I get it. I get it. The Battlefront one definitely seemed like a little bit of a little bit of a uh, swindle. Yeah, you pay this and then also pay this and then pay this and pay more. But I am fortunate enough that I could afford it. I paid it and I had a lot of fun playing. You know, when Scarif came out. It really got me excited for oh, Rogue yeah, one, and it's yeah. really good. So um, I'm curious. I'm interested. The single player thing will be will be will be fun.
2: Yeah, be I fun. mean, I think it is an exercise, and just because we can, should we? Which is, yeah. uh, I think, a, an important question about Star Wars, since we will be like, what? what? This Chewbacca has his hair slightly different? I'll buy eight of those action figures that they yeah. know they can abuse us, so should they abuse us. Right. But I'm, I'm I'm, thrilled about the single player. I put on my cranky old man hat. <laughs> you know, I like disappearing into a video yes. game. Yes. And... I, the experience of playing on online, I'm I'm thrilled mm. that there are people who love it, but for me, it's like
3: it's an opportunity for someone to be a jerk to me online. Yes, that's my real life. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a vacation. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that I was doing some some private Battlefront games, which were fun with cool JTE from Screen Junkies and Schmoes and Cobbster from Schmoes, those guys, and and that was fun. Cool, uh, we all talked to each other, and that that felt good. But yeah, I'm not much of an online person for that same reason. I like just you know playing by myself. Yeah, relaxing and not uh, being killed by an 11 year old 40 two times in 10 (laughs) seconds. I loved Red Dead Redemption, and then I was like, oh, there's an online kind of thing. I'm dead. I'm Uh, uh, dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. dead." Somebody stole my heart. Somebody stole my (laughs) heart. Yeah, yeah, I can't do this. (laughs) Uh, But uh, no word. uh, I don't know the word on when Battlefront 2 is out, though. I'm sure, though, we are going to get a lot more at Star Wars Celebration. We're going to get a lot at Star Wars Celebration, and uh, I will be there. So hopefully I'll uh, have a first-hand account, Yeah, and I can uh, report back to the front lines here. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. All right, Joseph, that's kind of the news for right now. Yeah. Uh, short but sweet and some uh, cool items in there. But it is time to take a look at the third and final book in the oh. Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig, Aftermath, Empire's End. The cover, you're right, Joseph. It's is, beautiful. It's one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars art ever. Yeah, I'd put that up on my wall. I would too. I would too. And now that is, it, is that a Super Star Destroyer or is that just a regular I destroyer? Think I think
2: that's a regular. I think that's right? just a regular. I think we might be looking at the inflictor. You think it's the inflictor? I, mean, I think. It, I mean, the inflictor is the iconic one.
3: And and you got Ray's uh, future home on the back. Yep. Yep tagline is, every end is a new beginning, which sounds like a semi-sonic song closing time. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's uh, – we're going to go into this. And, and Joseph, you, ha- you helped me lead this. This, this is both of our yeah. shows here. Uh, but I do want to start with um, the big picture reactions, but more importantly, the Aftermath series. Yeah. Which – you cannot deny, whether you work for Lucasfilm, or your name's Chuck Wendig, or it's us, you can't deny the first book particularly was maligned a little
2: bit. Yeah, it got some negative reaction. And now I know you and I are both uh, Twitter friends with Yes, Chuck Wendig. And so we
3: should disclose that. Yeah. I don't want any, you know... Nerd crew backlash for yeah. red letter media on this. All right, me yeah. personally, <laughs> I did enjoy aftermath more than other people, but yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so take that with a with mm-hmm. a uh, grain mm-hmm. of truth. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's just it, I I feel like it's important to acknowledge and just we're in this brave new world mm-hmm. where the the uh, the line between creators and commenters is thin. Yeah, sometimes they are people you kind of know. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think the for me the series each mm-hmm. book got better. To the point where uh, the first aftermath, I thought, did have some challenges. It felt like uh, maybe Chuck was held back from maybe doing some Mm. of the things that we expected or wanted to hear. And it spent a lot of time uh, building ground. So it spent a lot of time of that, like... I'm so curious to hear about my old heroes, but I'm meeting so many new heroes. Right. So many new ideas. And what do you know? They all do pay off.
3: And I want to ask you directly, and I know we've talked about this before, but I, I've been pounding this drum. I did it on the Collider Empire's End <laughs> review. I've done it on Jedi Council. I've done it on Force Center. But I want to really, really discuss that here. Regarding the first book. Yeah. There was no doubt in my mind that when you tell everyone this is a continuation of the story mere moments after Return of the Jedi – and days after Return of the Jedi. And then you get that first book, and and we're all used to uh, the the Zaun trilogy, which picks up five years after, but follows our main heroes around. Yeah. This one doesn't. The story from the beginning. Akbar speaking, and you're like, this is great, we're getting insight. Who are these people? Yep. It has to, and that's not Wendig's decision, certainly wasn't. Um, I can't help but think that hurt the entire series, unfortunately. I don't think it, Should've, but I got why because it it was upsetting to me. Yeah, so it was like what? What? No, who's Singer? Yeah, one Leia. Yeah, and the
2: it was the flagship of the journey to the Force Awakens. Yes, and sure, it had some obscure hints that I don't even remember now. Yeah, but they're in that double position of they can't really reveal anything about the new film yeah and now we understand why they didn't want to tell us the story of right. Han and leia and especially luke yeah uh but yeah i think if they had put it out as mm. learn the state of the galaxy through the eyes of You know, victims of the (laughs) Galactic War, Rebellion, and Imperials.
3: Which is not sexy on a headline. I get that. I get it. But it was the truth because I I enjoyed the first Aftermath book probably more than others because I really, as I've said before, liked the picture of the state of the galaxy. And I... I've been poking through. I reread most of the interludes from all three of the books. Okay, to tie the, it all the together the other night, just to kind of yeah. see it. And I missed a lot the first go around of the interludes because it's a little different at first. you You're Like, what is this? Um, there's some stuff there that pays off in the third book that oh, you, yeah. you just like I, I was like, yeah, what is this? Get get past this. I think
4: that's my you know? my
2: was my biggest problem with the first aftermath book mm-hmm. is like too much of a good thing. Is like mm-hmm. I, he writes a uh, compelling active Often Mm. violent scenes. Yeah. uh, And they're so chopped up. Yeah. There's just, there's so many of them. And because you haven't got a chance to know the main characters yet, Mm. and then you're introduced to this new idea that's interesting and it's pulled away from you. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that is one of the biggest challenges about the first book in that, you know, is gone in mm. Life Debt and especially Empire's End. Where, especially
3: Empire's End. So Life yeah. Debt was well, definitely more received. The story of the liberation of Kashyyyk. You got a lot of Han. You got a lot of Chewie. Yeah. You're kind of back on the run. But Empire's End and it ends with a great big mystery. Of what is going on on Jakku. Yeah. And if you go back early on to, uh, I think it's it's the opening, the prologue of Life Dead, you're introduced to Galli, Gallius yeah. Rax, <laughs> Yuptashu, Tashu, the idea of this uh, mysterious character called the Consecrated Emirate. Uh, Emermite is how I'm saying it. I don't know. Uh, I'm waiting for someone on the internet to correct <laughs> me. E R E M I T E. How would you say that? Emirate? Emirate? Yeah. The Consecrated Emirate is this mythical character on Jakku. Who was a thousand years ago roaming the plains of a very lush and water-filled Jakku. Yeah. And he's prophesied to return. And Gali thinks either first yuptashu is or that this other character he meets at the end of the book named Shiv Palpatine <laughs> might be. So Life Debt ends with that mystery, so we go now here to Empire's End, Joseph. Yeah. And I was geeked up and excited for hashtag what's on Jakku.
2: Absolutely. And I think we we get a great answer to uh, what's on Jakku. Mm-hmm. I think there is there is the risk of backing themselves into a corner, and I don't think they did. I think they pulled mm-hmm. off that big picture story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really affected ov- overall in the book. Like I was, so, I was there for what's on Jakku. Yeah. But I was affected by uh, how much I had become attached to Nora and Singer in mm-hmm. Ray Sloan and we spent most time with them and I was really interested in their stories. Right. And I was really affected by the whole book has a really nice theme of uh Singer talks about the person without a star. Yeah. And all of our characters, you know, some of them become more major than others. And some of them, you know, get killed on a video <laughs> camera. Sorry, <laughs> John Burrell. Poor One of the
3: saddest sacks in the galaxy. Yeah, he's
2: he's going up there for a lobot with uh, with the sadness. <laughs> yeah, Can't get the girl and gets killed yeah. on the video. Yeah. Uh, but I love that there was a general theme of finding peace and yes. finding your next adventure. It's a super violent book he mm-hmm. writes you know just fisticuffs yeah really viscerally yeah um but i love that that Shock w- would
3: be great on databank bro
2: oh he would oh my god there'd be uh bees and space ants <laughs> everywhere and <laughs> things would be eaten and tentacles yeah uh, yeah but i i just really liked that it found it felt like the individual characters as well as the story of the whole galaxy was finding its feet yeah and then we had that sort of like oh well the first order is being created and going off in the distance but our characters are finding Right. Identity and peace.
3: That's a great – that's great because there's there's one thing and it's I, – I, I said it on Collider, uh, but I want to get into more here where I think there was a little bit of justification for a redemption for Wendick because one of my biggest complaints – not complaints is a tough word, but my biggest things like, ooh, of misses of the book is I wanted more with those characters. I almost felt a little bit like, ah, oh, I wish Singer was in this. Where's this? Where's that? And that is a testament to us as listeners and, or excuse me, readers growing with these characters. And yeah. so for you to find those themes and they're coming from those characters, that that's a valuable point uh, to put forth that this book has that there. Yeah, absolutely. It really pays off these characters' journeys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And lots of different characters. And I love that it uh, it really deals strongly in the, the idea of do you want justice or do you want revenge? Yes. It's a great question to ask as a galaxy is coming off of a war. Right. Uh, and also, like, it's a question that comes up a lot in pop culture, but not a lot in Star Wars. It's mm. more framed as, like, good or bad. Right. Action or not action. Right. But justice or revenge and the fact that it does boil down in a lot of those final moments for all of our characters. Yeah. Of exactly, you know, which should they choose. Right. And, they, you know, they choose generally the ones that, that show the true nature of the character. Yeah. Nora, ch- you know, chooses justice. And right. Ray Sloan ultimately chooses revenge. <laughs> and Singer, who <laughs> should want mm-hmm. revenge, mm-hmm. chooses just every calm peaceful yeah. option that is offered to
3: him ultimately in the end. Yeah, it takes his career in an entire new direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Jazz uh, uh kind of, you know, finds her new adventures at the end. It's kind of like Return of the King. Everyone's kind of going on their own little adventures.
2: Yeah, Jess comes home to Embo and other bounty hunters. Yeah. Even,
3: there's it, there's
2: even that theme with uh, with Temen becoming Snap. Yes. Like, that at first Snap is kind of a joke he doesn't like, but then he fits yeah. into that identity of Right. I will be a pilot. I will be this more calm, responsible person that my elders think I can be.
3: Right. and, and I love the influence of Wedge on him. Yeah. That's a, you know, a great uh, I know Dennis Lawson did not want to be in the Force Awakens and there's some, some disappointment as a fan that that didn't happen, but you, you know, to know that some of the Wedge's legacy is flowing through Snap Wexley. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's it's right. a good thing. It's a cool thing as a Star Wars fan. So, uh, should we dive on into a little bit of the, of the meat of what happened in this? Yeah. What? Uh, let's start with the Emperor's Plan, the yeah. Contingency Plan. That is kind of the big, sexy headline of this book. Yeah. It really starts in a, uh, in a way that I know some people didn't take to, and initially, I needed some Star Wars counseling on. <laughs> yeah. So, that I want to talk about that up top. We start on the second Death Star, above the moon of Endor, as the shuttle is landing, or has just landed. The shuttle Tidarium has, has landed on Endor, and Gallius Rax is summoned to the second Death Star where he meets with Sheev, his buddy Sheev. <laughs> and it's like, hey, the that thing you've been training for your whole life, Galley, it's time. The contingency plan, the thing you're in charge of, That is put that into motion. Yeah. Stand by to stand by, because I don't know if I'm getting out of this. So... That involves the Unknown Regions and involves the Emperor thinking there's something else out there, blah, blah, blah. So where my mind, Joseph, went yeah. to immediately is that something we talked a little bit about it with Steel Saunders, that sometimes I feel these new Star Wars stories can get too cute with what's around the corner of the story you already loved. Right. So you got the the Rebels trying to take down the second Death Star. And they're on Endor, and you got all the big things at play there. Luke and, and Vader and, and the Emperor even factoring into that. But in the meantime, there's these Imperials... Heading on out, you know, to the unknown regions because that's where the Emperor's focus is also. Yeah, and this is my initial reaction to it, and I I, I was like kind of like all right, so when that second Death Star blows up, did it matter? Yeah, it does. Of course yeah. it matters. But did it really matter? Because the Yuzong Vong might be out there. dear God, I know. <laughs> I, some of you out there are fans of Yuzon Vong. I want to be I want to be respectful of you and your your joy in the Star Wars universe. If the Yuzong Vong show up, I might be out. I might be watching Gobots. Yes, um,
2: in my Star Wars headcanon, the yeah. Force is everywhere. Yoda told the truth. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing the Force doesn't affect. Can't can affect. Sorry, Timothy's on. That's my
3: strong opinion, but I'll be yeah. cool with it if they come. <laughs> if they come. So anyways, all this to say, I, as I, and I'm saying this at the top, loved Empire's End. Loved the questions it posed at the end and the theories that can come out of this. Loved the launching and, and, and beginning of the, of the First Order. But I was always like a little bit like, well, there's this side, there's this parallel plots now. And when I go back and watch New Hope, Empire, and Jedi that I didn't no, we're there, and now I have to believe they're there, and it and it, does it undercut it? Yeah. That's what I start with you, Joseph. Yeah. Does it undercut it?
2: I don't think so, because okay. I see it as Palpatine. We're being told the story of Star Wars, that Palpatine is this brilliant uh, foreseer who comes up with all these plans, and uh, we only see the tip of the iceberg. His plan was to take over the galaxy with his mm-hmm. Sith apprentice, which he did, and then the nature of the Sith is to want more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And unless we find out how he was trying to get more, mm. he's just a sad old bureaucrat who's sitting around with his damaged half robot <laughs> apprentice yeah, doing bureaucratic stuff because he's got the galaxy. Right, The rebellion's a little bit of a pain, yeah. but he has the galaxy. And that's always been one of my things of like, well, What more does he want? Because then it just becomes a story of he's Mm. sitting there with Darth Vader and they just have awkward conversation all the time. And so much is filling out, what do they
3: want? Remember that time on Mustafar we destroyed (laughs) the techno union? I like my Jogad fruit cooked. (laughs) Like
2: I've done a sketch about it, about just like, what Mm. did they do now that they just locked in? So we're getting all this information and I love that he has multiple plans. Yeah. I love that. He kind of wants—I'd interpret it as he Mm. wants to break the rule of the Sith. Of the two. He doesn't want to hand anything to Vader. Right. If he can't have the Empire, it's it's not like he wants Vader to take over. He wants it to burn and start a new game somewhere else and take over more. And he's already talking
3: about the failure of Vader. He believes he was a failed apprentice even at this point. He says that mentioned in the prologue, and you're starting to see that in the comics, really, in the Vader comic. That was very clear. And that actually fits exactly with Jedi, Mm. because what he truly wants is he wants
2: Luke to kill Vader and for Luke to become the new, more powerful apprentice. Um, And I interpreted also Empire's End is not just that he's willing to go, "Eh, this galaxy didn't work, I'll go off to the next one. Mm. But in an ideal world, he he would control both. He would control everything, because a Sith wants more more power. More power, more power, more power. That's the reason to you would exist. almost say
3: unlimited power.
2: Unlimited power would yeah. be a nice handy way yeah. to say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I really love that idea.
3: So I mean but no, yeah no, no. when you as you do with your Star Wars counseling skills, I that calmed me down a bit. Yeah. Um and it it makes sense and I, I use the it is a odd, but it is true to – I use a real-world example of, of Hitler in the Third Reich where, yep, he wanted Europe and then he wanted – Maybe the world. But he also had this weird obsessive, obsessive side with the occult. What else was out there? And all that kind of stuff that inspired Indiana Jones, you know, wasn't yeah. too far off from some of the stories you may have heard. And that kind of made sense, too. If, if Palpatine's like, what more can I get? And what else is out there? Because I, I, something's talking to me. Yeah. And you've got the force. And I want to go with my weird little advisors in their purple hats. And I want to figure out what is out there. Almost makes sense now. While, hey, he forms the galactic empire it's he's got the galaxy like you said mossameda could you go run this for me and and they, palpatine disappears in old you know canon and a new he's yeah. gone he's he's hiding if you read the the prologue to the the star wars novelization palpatine uh, surrounded himself with yes men and bureaucrats and disappeared from the people so and he's even putting out holograms that are fake him you know it's a young healthy palpatine yeah. So it makes sense to hear you describe it and to get into that story bubble of all right. So while uh, Massaeta and all everyone else and Tarkin and Krennic and everyone's running invaders off, you know, getting counseling and taken back to baths and all that <laughs> stuff, and he's still a troubled teen. Yeah. Um. Palpatine's like, what else is out there for me? Yeah. So from that point, it makes some sense, and I can totally get behind it. it actually, uh, became a little more exciting for me. Yeah. So
2: yeah. So I like the more power. I also like just blowing up the Empire. There was like
3: a, it would make some sense.
2: Yeah, and I I want to give huge kudos to Chuck Wendig for an original chess metaphor because yeah. boy is you know chess metaphors for villains <laughs> tired area. In this idea of like yeah. I'm going to sit you down at Djerick, it's also known as Hollow Chess, whatever. Yeah, uh, which is pretty much a direct line. Yeah, uh, and say it's not I'm not just going to teach you how to move the the king. Right, rip the board apart. Yeah, that that was. Cool, and I think it meant. And to me, it works both in terms of like, here's the plan: if I fall, draw draw everybody into a trap and destroy the rebellion and the empire and throw everything into chaos because I'm full of evil and hate. And if I can't have it, absolutely no one should. Yeah. And I'll go start another game over here.
3: And that and that, that that's where one of the things where I think my mind got lost. Yeah. Into where I was coming down on it and needed your help. Um, is the Battle of Jakku? Yeah. One of the first things you learn uh, before Force Awakens is, what's this planet? It's Jakku. There's all these, Oh, there was a big, important battle there. And then Battlefront comes out, and you see that battle. Yeah. You see Star Destroyers falling from the sky. Um, You see, you know, then uh, Lost Stars comes out, and then you get a certain perspective of that battle. You know me, and I just did the spotlight Star Wars. I'm drawn to war more than lore in Star Wars. I was looking forward to this Battle of Jakku. And the Battle of Jakku in the book is great. Yes. It's some of the best writing Wendig's done in the series.
2: You can understand exactly what's
3: happening. It's tactical. It's exciting. Yeah. It's human. It's really exciting. And the stuff with Snap trying to fly into it, being a cocky kid going, what did I get myself into? It's <laughs> such a video game moment. If yeah. this battle's too big, I'll go pick <laughs> off easy people. Yes. It's me on Battlefront when I'm flying. <laughs> um, so there's that. But I also, the fact that it was... At the end, it was all about Rax drawing everyone into a trap. Initial, my initial reaction was like, "Well, that means that cheapened the battle a little bit to me. That it wasn't the Empire's final stand. It was this part of this bigger plan, and that's that's where maybe my mind started to go into okay. this big d- downward slope into a rabbit hole of does anything matter? Was it just part of okay. the Emperor's plan? I wanted this battle to be." The Empire gathers up and is like, Come at us, bros, and the rebels are like, Let's go finish it. And it, it was that from a certain point yeah. of view, but at the end of the day, it was a trap for everybody, and that Rax had intentionally weakened his troops. Yeah. And and that that was a I I liked it. It was executed well, but it emotionally hit me in a way of ah, but I wanted I wanted this to be bigger than it was. Yeah.
2: I think it continues the fine Star Wars tradition of we have All of these non-Force-using characters making these big decisions, doing things that do truly matter, Mm -hmm. but running underneath it all are Jedi and Sith manipulating everything and making everything about them. That's true. Uh, So, you know, a lot of it, it it becomes Mm -hmm. this weird battle because it's still Palpatine's plan. It's Palpatine from beyond the grave, so to speak. Uh, But through that story, we get, you know, this very uh, reminiscent of Rogue One uh, political debate about whether or not they should act on Mm -hmm. the New Republic side. Um, And on the Imperial side, we get all this great kind of story of the savagery. And we even get a lot of great uh, thoughts from our Imperial characters about not giving a damn about the force. Yeah. Which I thought was like super interesting meta because Luke is nowhere to be found. Right, in a very like purposeful poetic way. In All, these books. Already gone, already yeah. gone, and there's well, there's one other detail I want to talk about yep. with Luke. Kay. Um so this is a, a tale of the non-force users, mm-hmm. and it almost seemed meta. Chuck Wendig obviously mm-hmm. likes his cheeky, he likes his meta, yeah. But the fact that all of this was set in motion by Palpatine because a weird presence was speaking to me in the unknown space and maybe if I go there I can even be resurrected and woo, Mm. dark, (laughs) scary force stuff, evil Sith stuff. But everybody who's acting it out is like, I don't don't even know if the whole force (laughs) thing is real. I don't know if it really matters. I have all these thoughts and feelings and I'm fighting to survive and it almost felt a little meta of Mm. Wendig and Lucasfilm saying like, Right remember non force using stuff is pretty
3: awesome too, right, yeah which which is true and yeah, and and that's personified directly in Rax, yeah, but also in Ray Sloan, this idea of uh you know for a second she teams up with Nora, and you think maybe Sloan's going good, yeah, um, and she didn't stay bad, she just no, I'm this is my empire, you yeah. know, and that was an interesting take on it. it, had nothing to do with the force, and Rax, as you pointed out, literally saying comically, you silly little force stuff, <laughs> yeah. Which I think is a big part of, I think, when we talked about before,
2: too, of, like, uh, there's that line from Yoop, uh, Tashu, mm-hmm. uh, the the imperial dignitary, about, like, well, and, and then we will raise Palpatine. So mm-hmm. it's a throwaway line in the book, and yeah. it's immediately mocked by Rax right before he kills Yoop. Yes. But it does feel like... In the big picture, if that was Palpatine's plan, it's kind of a nice nod to stories from the expanded universe where Palpatine comes back, and he comes back, and maybe there is some holocron, and he put some blood in it, and you had it, and that was the whole thing, and it just got wiped out because Callius Rax was like, that's dumb. I'm pushing
3: you in a hole. (laughs) Hole, so you can power my bomb. Yeah, and, uh, that, and that'll be fine. And that'll be fine. Um, I do want to come back to, to the end, in the beginning of the first yeah. one, but I think we should dive into some of the, the other characters who are on display here. Yeah. we got a lot of great stuff with Mon Mothma. Oh, Mon Mothma is great. And to see this ep- episode of Rebels... Where she's uh, featured front and center, and you could see her leadership at play. Yeah. Um, This is a character that we grew up with. It's the lady in white, appearing for a few seconds in in Jedi. Um, I still, I wish she'd been in Sith. I wish those scenes had worked out. Yeah. It was cool. It would have been really nice. But fortunately, the actress is getting second life. She's she's voicing the character in Rebels, I believe. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, she is. Um, And then uh, uh, featured, you know pretty much front and center as much as you needed that character to be in Rogue One. But in this book, and in Bloodline, but in this book, and, and this whole series, but this book particularly, she she to me is really a key character and a, an important person in the galaxy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think she carries that political story uh, really well. Um, you know, I like that she gets injured and she's having the the problems with, with her hands. That was, mm-hmm. I think that's just great writing on Wendig's part to find a way to like externalize what her internal yeah. trauma is. I even got uh, in, the, in the verging into real life politics. So take it, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but there was almost a, a Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders vibe yeah. between Mon Mothma and the guy who was challenging her politically. Yeah, like Mon Mothma is this person who a lot of people kind of perceived as cold. She'd been around for a long time. She clearly knew what she was doing, but maybe she didn't have any fresh ideas. (laughs) And here's this exciting guy who's just like, here's how we should do everything. But he doesn't necessarily have the experience or a plan for how to enact them. And, uh, And I'm not making any judgment on on any of those arguments in our our real political world. I have them, but I'm not going to make them on this podcast. Uh, But it it was one of those things where, like, Star Wars inevitably uh, wanders into having, you know, rhythm with the real world. And it just— Sith did, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sith did, yeah. And it it just made Mon Mothma even more interesting to be like that— Character who hasn't had this perfect political yeah. life to find out that she almost completely collapsed and didn't get to be in charge of the new republic that she had fought for, yeah, was that that made her character like, Oh, she's not just this perfect leader, she has to strive
3: for things, right? T- toll war. Wartoll is uh, the character's name. Tor from, Wartol. Uh, Nakadia is the planet, yeah. which is where the seat of the galaxy was uh, moved to at that point, which yeah. is an interesting thing following the fall of the Empire. It was no longer just Coruscant. Yeah, the they center they moved the, it around. Yeah, the center of the galaxy moved around. So, Nakadia, yeah. That, so there was an interesting, and then you know, she has that fun little scene with the fruit. You yeah, know, oh, all the, all the that fruit stuff. is great. Yeah. And it's kind of her in action without a blaster, without this, without that, using her own skills and mindset and strategies. Yeah. Which is, again, a good good moment for the character and with mon mothma's story and
2: a lot there's an interesting dynamic where the book sets up a tension of what's going to happen Mm -hmm. but we as Star Wars fans know it's going to happen there's a couple times at least one major time we're like is mon mothma going to die Yes, and we're like well no of course not right because we know so i thought uh, i thought this book was particularly successful in uh, getting the attention not out of what happens, mm-hmm. but how does it happen? Right. What choices do our characters make so that things play out the way that we as fans know they have to? Right. And there was a lot of that with Mon Mothma.
3: Do you? We know she's uh, you know as alive as of six years before Force Awakens uh, with Bloodline. Yeah. Um, do you want the? Do you want the character to show up in any way, shape, or form? <sighs> I...
2: In the sequel movies, I yeah. no, I don't think I do because I like the story told in Bloodline so well mm-hmm. that they set up a flawed government mm-hmm. that worked if it was controlled by a powerful but benign charismatic figure. Mm. And then when she retired, that nobody could really hold it together and factions developed and the government started to
3: not function well. Mm-hmm. I really, really like that story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't have that answer for myself yet yeah. either. It's one of those. It be, do you get the original actress? To, uh, I believe still alive. I believe. Apologies. Oh yeah. yeah uh, um, you show up. You know, would it work? I don't know. Would it be too cute? I don't know. But because Mothma is such a key character in the time in between, yeah, it makes some sense. But there's there's just so much, and we didn't see. We saw her a bit in Rogue One, but it's like we didn't see. I'm reading the stuff in these books and going, ah, this is a really valuable character. Well, hopefully,
2: she's just a regular in, in Rebels now.
3: Yeah, So we we'll nice.
2: really get a lot of, uh, of Mon Mothma, I, I would love. that itch.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, and the idea of another vote for military action that doesn't go, you know, not looking like it will go Mothma's way initially. Yeah. How they have to get around that, uh, reminiscent of Rogue One. It's like maybe she learned her lesson from Rogue One era stuff, you know. That was great. Yeah. I liked all that. Yeah. I liked all that. It was, yeah. It was, again, Star Wars politics done pretty damn good. Yep, and
2: it tied in well with all of the other politics. Yeah. They were told in Star Wars.
3: Yeah, syncs up. Han and Leia?
2: Han and Leia, uh, amazing. I think, uh, I thought Wendig's writing of Han was really, really good in Life Debt*. I thought Han and Leia in particular were really both well-written in Empire's End. And and that also is much like Mon Mothma. We know what's going to happen, so this is feeling like Greek tragedy. Right. You know? Right. Like, we...
3: we, Yeah, it's... it's hard not to always think of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to think about what's going to happen
2: yeah. uh, with uh, Ben Solo, as we learn that it is Solo. I like that confirmation because, yep. you know, people have been saying, is it Ben Solo? Is it Ben Solo Organa? Is it right. Ben Organa? Right. Uh, so we know that it is Ben Solo. But in particular, some of the details I loved with Han, mm-hmm. I love setting up the restlessness. Yep. That he, I love that he didn't go to Jakku because in my mind, the Falcon was there in Jakku yep. at the last battle. Of course it was. It's only a year later, but I like that. I can't go. It's so good. Uh, the the detail that when Masamita, mm-hmm. another sad, sad character that you and I both love, <laughs> gets smuggled off course on, by children. Yeah. Brought to the. By the little birds. The, yeah, by the little birds from Game of Thrones. Uh, brought to the New, mm-hmm. Re- New Republic yeah. to sign the treaty officially ending the empire. <laughs> That Leia is standing there yes. in labor. Yes, is such an amazing detail that mm-hmm. shows the character. Her character has been built up to be somebody who's like, yeah, I am funny, I am smart, I am wry, but duty. Yeah, duty. And like I've sacrificed everything. I'm going to stand here in. <laughs> Cascading pain and anxiety, <laughs> but I need to be here in this moment.
3: And that and that Kylo was or uh, Ben was born on the day of the Galactic Concordance is an interesting little you know yeah starting point for that character.
2: Yeah, it's such a great great detail. And yeah. then the this was a Luke detail that I wanted to yeah yeah to I wanted to get into that yeah talk about uh, yeah I don't mean to move move past Han and Leia no 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 plenty more to be said. Um, but the way that they chose to write that, where we as the readers don't mm-hmm. get to be in the room when yeah. Ben is born and it's a thing of myth right. some say that luke was there some say Something he was, was not <laughs> it's like oh man that's great it not only builds yeah. up like it's not that he's just not here yeah we, at this point film is just mm-hmm. poking us and going like imagine guess guess, guess. imagine guess. have fun make some yeah. headcanon because it's it's now Cool. Yeah. That Luke is nowhere to be found. Yeah, because we're wondering. We're he, wondering. He's, he's getting mythic, like there, Ray. There,
3: there he is. Yeah, absolutely. Like that Ray makes says. sense. Why Ray says he, he's a, he's a myth. He's a legend. Um, yeah. And, and and um, I'm trying to put the timeline together. I just did have to do something for a Collider crash course on what's Luke been up to. Yeah. And there's not a lot of information, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you know, shattered empire, the four issue comic series. Yeah. Luke's very much in that. And he and Shara Bay go get these force trees. And Luke's like, you can take one. The other one's spoken for. We don't even know what that means. And it is a interesting that it's on the Star Wars databank that you learn that Lor San and him were like teamed up and off looking for relics. Yeah. And off trying to get get a little history on the Jedi Order. And so when did that begin? I'm so curious. Yeah. And I like that they played with that in, in this as well. And what do you think, too, about this notion that Leia with the Force but not super trained and kind of choosing to go that other direction still has the ability to really use the Force to see and feel things, really feels an amazing amount of light in ben yeah but kind of this warning that when there's a lot of light there's a lot of potential for dark
2: yeah oh i love that i i I like the picture that's emerging of leia of the her force gift is being intuitive yeah and reaching out uh in as much as i would still love to see leia raise her hand and send some people flying Yep. yep um i like that that use of her uh, of force abilities. And, and I felt like it was just the right touch of like, Hey, if you're going to ha- spend a bunch of time with maybe th- yeah. Kylo Ren, uh, right before he's born, yeah, you want to have some fun kind of hinting. Yeah. And I, and I think it was done well. Yeah. Done very well. What did you think about uh, Han and Leia? Do you feel like they were well-written?
3: Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Uh, You know, you, you, you get a lot of Han and and Leia apart in these books. Um, So their moments together seem very true to Han's character of him, not knowing what to do with himself. It starts there. Uh, Of, T- trouble adjusting to this life. So now the payoff of him going back when things go really bad, going back to what he knows makes sense because you can already kind of see it there. And, and I felt his frustration of not being on that battle because, again, it would make sense. It's, what, 18 months after the events of Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Like, w- why wouldn't Han? Why wouldn't General Solo be there? <laughs> but already knowing that, hey, this is what's going on. And even the, the interlude with Lando and kind of this idea of, you know, Lando kind of like, oh, they're having a kid. Like, what's going on? Yeah, like, like uh, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it,
2: yeah. That Lando passage is really like when yeah. two friends that you
3: know get married and, like, whew. Yeah. That's either going to work out great or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. You know, it's like some of my friends from the Schmo's land, like, they're engaged. Um, you know, and, and then you see it, but then you see it, and all, and honestly, you see it play out in real life. Oh, uh, that works because that, that woman and that man or man and man and robot and robot, they're all together and they're, it works. And Han and Leo work, but you already see. You felt I felt Han's frustration a little bit, you know. It, I focused on that more than the Leia stuff. Yeah, I'm such a Han guy, and I yeah. want Han to be who he is. I want him to grab his blaster, his DL 44, and head out to Jakku. I want him to do this, but he has to transition. And uh, I think that that was done really well. Yeah, and I'm still curious. There's a lot more to to find out of what happened. Uh, with just Han in the, in, in the, you know, trying to be a father. Yeah. You know, just the little things. of Han changing his diaper. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah there's yeah, a lot Yeah, of that was really well written, the, yeah, the yeah. scene where he, he picks Ben up and he's yeah. like, I, I don't have the Force, so I can't. Just well, like, you don't need the Force. Right. you father.
3: Which, where do we hear that again, you know? Yeah, and exactly. Very, very, you know, now Force Awakens has even more depth.
2: Yeah. And I I think that dovetailed in with a lot of themes, too, where, like, he was able to sort of accept, like, I, I want to go to Jakku, but mm-hmm. my mission... Mission Now mm-hmm. is to be a father Yeah So I'll accept this new role This new role Yeah That was new great role. This and might be the Oh I'm sorry No
3: no And the Leia stuff was great too I think the Leia In, in new canon Has been done so well Yeah From a lot of different perspectives and uh this book uh you know there's uh, it shows shows again her more the side in it and and everything everything they've done with leia new canon the leia comic wasn't my favorite but there's some spectacular moments in there i think they're i think they're doing great stuff with the leia yeah. character
2: yeah now this is something i wanted to ask you about because i think mm-hmm. it is probably the nerdiest most pedantic weird thing mm-hmm. uh that i could say is there now canon inconsistency about where Ben was conceived because mm. i want to remember that in bloodline she reflects on a uh, trip on the falcon where she believes right ben was conceived but then in Pierce. aftermath it talks about being on endor on endor yeah and i could mm. be absolutely misremembering so mm. uh you know if, yeah. if I'm misremembering, and yeah. you're listening to this weeks later, trust me, people have told me <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> didn't have time to look this one up. We know the hyperdrive was broken. we <laughs> were aware of the Empire, Empire Strikes Back. back. Yes, we made a mistake, uh, but uh, I don't know. There's a part mm-hmm. of me that. I that was just a memory that popped hey, up, and it's just know, like, you know what? What is the nerdiest thing that I could geek out about? You inconsistencies
3: know, in canon. Is- i got to think there's a lot of passion running through and <laughs> at that point, and maybe they don't really know. They themselves. don't know either, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. but man, uh, yeah. I, I can't wait to someday be <laughs> an old man at a convention and asking somebody, uh, I have a question. Uh, exactly, canonically, when was uh, Ben <laughs> Solo, Kyle, Ren Conceived?
3: When was the conception of the uh, Falcon or Endor or the Falcon on Endor? Uh, this is very important. I'll take my question offline <laughs> is more of a comment yeah uh yeah from so, the main story joseph what are some of the other highlights for you
2: i you know uh i think from the overall story is i uh, i felt like the book was tying so many different things together mm-hmm. from so many different points that it almost felt like kind of a ending phase one of disney star wars Ah,
3: uh, yes, yes. I absolutely think that is the case. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, in it, which makes sense that they were kind of launching off into, like, a new mission. And I was, uh, I really enjoyed the huge number of little touch points and callbacks uh, yeah. to other things. And a couple of them that I wanted to point out, uh, because they're great fun, is uh, Noar Jabel mm-hmm. is a random Weasley guy who's disagreeing about the alliance or mm-hmm. the Republic taking military action. Yeah. Norja Bell is the main weasel from the Alliance meeting in Rogue One. Oh, really? So you learn that not only did that guy stay with the Alliance all the way into the Republic, yeah. he's once again making the same argument
0: <laughs> did not anything. doing
2: anything. Yeah. Like, I love that detail. Uh, yeah. The Jogon fruit is from one of my favorite Clone Wars episodes. Yes. Uh, where Anakin is sent to, uh, yes. uh, sends 3PO and R2 to get that fruit obviously lumpy, um, all right, let's talk lumpy, yeah,
3: wara lumpu, yeah, War-a-lumpa? W- war lumpa yeah war lump lump l- l- lumpa waru sorry, lumpa waru uh, it's because my notes are backwards, uh <laughs> Waru is what they call him in the book, we know him as Lumpy. lumpy, lumpa waru Chewbacca's son, yeah, great scene, yeah, I knew it was coming right away, that Man. name pops up if yep. you've if you've spent two seconds on the holiday special, you know what's going on uh what do you, what were your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, I like it. I feel like, you know, Chuck Wendig uh, is uh, very cheeky, and I feel like he likes the Star Wars challenge of, like, give me the uh, weirdest, most derided thing, and I'm, I'm going to prove that I can make it work. Right. And, I, you know, I like that because I think Star Wars is cheeky and weird as well as deep and complex, yeah. and I felt like that worked. That was one of the interludes that truly resolved. Yes. Chewie wants to find his family. Yeah, that was, and all, he
3: does. Whole point of life, that, really. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah. yeah, legitimizing Lumpy was fine with me. It's totally fine with me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean the events of the holiday special are canon. No. People, uh, Harvey Corman is not in the Star Wars universe officially. You know, yet, big, yeah. big yet. Um, but with Mala, his wife, and, yeah. and uh, Lumpy or Waru, uh, you know, it's 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 not just fun to me. It just makes some sense, man. If yeah, if, if they're gonna give Chewie a family. In new canon, and, and, and from here on out, it, yeah, you don't need to create, you know, lump, lump is keep it lumpy, <laughs> Lumpus, yeah, keep it lumpy, yeah. hashtag keep, keep it lumpy. lumpy. I yeah. like that interlude. Yeah. yeah, I
2: really like that one. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 yeah, why, why invent a new name when you got a perfectly good lumpy? Yeah, I, you know, he's chewy, is short for Chewbacca. It's not yeah. that weird that lumpy would be short yeah. for Lumpawaru. <laughs> 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 so that one was great. Uh, the. The, that there is a reason for the name Nima Outpost, I thought, was a really yeah. fun, interesting detail.
3: I have the note of, of Nima the Hut, which was an interesting Hut character. And Durga the Hut is is mentioned here. That's a, that's a legends pool as well. Uh, in the comics now, we've got Gracchus the Hut, who's this big steroided out Hut with okay. biceps and all this kind of thing. Nima was this snake like Hut, weird kind of like. Compared to Jabba and the opulence of Jabba's palace, you have got kind of this second-rate hut. But who is powerful can flip over a, a Lambda-class shuttle. Yeah, was an interesting take, and in that that this person would kind of eventually be this creature would end up being honored in a way. I don't know if honored Nima, or I, I don't know surviving, surviving and sur- controlling it. Like, do, is, is oh, do you think Nima, Oh, I didn't take it that way. I thought eventually, I, I just Nima Outpost was kind of like named for the hut that used to work in this these round these parts. Uh, yeah,
2: I think it's unanswered. So. So it could yeah. be just like, this is what Nima used to control. Or it could be like, uh, that's who Unkar works for. That Unkar is getting, uh, yeah. providing those portions uh, yeah. and collecting materials for Nima, who's Ooh, still alive. I like,
3: I like that take. Yeah. So, so and we, might go, live. we might go back to Jakku and see a snake-like hut. Name Nema, yeah, all scarred up from all those blaster bolts. Yeah, I could Uh, see that. I think
2: I think that would be yeah. uh,
3: Those little weird slaves she had there, that were all like like uh, reminded me of Temple of Doom or something. Yeah, it reminded me totally of the Mad Max, very much. I mean,
2: especially Fury Road when she's got her white painted hut slaves and they're on you know. Uh, run through the sand. like they're
3: climbing on her, riding on her.
2: Yeah. It was super gross stuff. It was gross stuff. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, I did like Nima. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out that the mm-hmm. Inflictor... Uh, which is from Lost Stars, which is the ship that uh, Siena Re is on, does get a shout-out. It and does. And gets confirmed being there in the battle.
3: It is. And if you overlooked it like I did and Joseph had a say no, idiot, it's in the book. It's on page <laughs> 276. Grand Admiral Rann is in hologram form, for he is currently aboard the Star Destroyer Inflictor. So we, we tied that all together.
2: Yeah. And that is... I was looking it up. That is the, the Star Destroyer, the specific Star Destroyer that Ray is yeah. on at the beginning of Force Awakens. So more stuff all tying it uh, together. A lot of callbacks to mm-hmm. uh, the Clone Wars with Embo, who's, yep. you know, a featured bounty hunter who's got the same hat as Constable Zuvio <laughs> because they're the same species <laughs> and they all special. wear that hat, they which is like awesome. <laughs> which also answers a Force Awakens potential mystery mm. because they're one of the people that uh, mm. Kylo is murdering in Ray's. Oh, Vision yeah. has one of those hats, and people yeah. have been like, Was that Constable of you? It actually look like Embo. It's like, Well, it's probably just another Kyuzo. Kyuzo. With the hat, which is great. They're cousins. Uh, yeah. Little so, cousins. like, yeah, I, I got a bunch of. Uh, yeah. the, but those are the ones that, that interested me. Like, but yeah. every Star Wars thing ever got mentioned in this book. There was a lot
3: of uh, a lot of it. Uh, you know, the phone Yellow Aces are mentioned. Uh, I don't know that uh, the one. The Wedge, I believe, drops that reference, uh, and that is the squad of X-Wings that um, took down a Walker. And it's it's mentioned in the in the book, and that is. Uh the walker we've gotta believe that Ray ends up living in. Right. Because that helmet she has that she wears so uh. charmingly is a Tierfon yellow ace insignia nice. rebel helmet. So that little things like that. The Imperialis, which uh, ties to the end, but is it's the Emperor's ship, was featured in Lando's five-issue comic. Right, he like raids it for... In- he, he raids it, and there's these Sith relics on it, and, and there's weird, and it, and, it, and it messes up one of the royal guards, like his face is deformed. Then <laughs> you find out that, hey, there's one of many. The Emperor had those anywhere, but I like that, again, it tied up to that. And i forgot forgotten the name. I should look up the interlude. Uh, but the, the Lando interlude... Uh, it was it was Harloff that pointed this out to me that that that, that they mentioned the Imperial in that uh, on Cloud City or or part of the group that was like still in control or took over Cloud yeah. City is the the Imperial officer that was in that uh, mobile game that came out. Um, Star Wars Galaxies. Oh wow! That like announces in the commercials right around Force Awakens. It's like the Emperor's still alive. Don't worry, everything's in control here. That that's that guy. Oh nice! So it even ties into that.
4: Yeah,
2: and I wonder how much of that is uh, Wendig uh, being cheeky, and how much of that is kind of direction from overall Lucasfilm story group of like right. Really, really tie it all together in the details. Right.
3: Uh, I can't find the interlude in right now, but it's there.
2: Yeah, and the Lando the Lando interlude is just great fun.
3: It is. I really liked it. I really liked it. I was worried because of that that expert that was released. The lobot where home line kind of made me roll my eyes. But again, yeah. that's that's keeping in tone with some of the stuff written in these books. But yeah, it, it played out really well. It's just nice to have Lando there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you
2: have any other like uh, big story thoughts, or do you want to dive into a little bit more of the
3: interludes? Well, I, the interludes uh, reveal a lot and that tie into some of the big stuff, I, I think. And as far as big stuff, uh, I think I do want to keep the ending. Let's, let's wrap it up with that, yeah. um, because it, that, that goes into it. Um, my favorite chapter, by the way, is chapter 25, which is the War is Coming chapter, which is every little section begins with war. Is coming and it goes through the characters going through it. Reminded me very much of of uh, Re- Return of the King, yeah. uh, Standing on the precipice of a war and just a lot of the stuff, uh, the hearing the bells in Game of Thrones and the great scene with Varys and Tyrion Lannister. It was a, it was a really good chapter. But as far as like yeah, what was put forth some of the reveals and questions. Um, one of uh, one of them, the, the, the Journal of the Wills is mentioned, and mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing now that now we can say maybe Kenobi was quoting. Quoting the wills to Luke, what he said oh. from a certain point of view, because it, it, it exactly says certain point of view. It's oh, part yeah. of the learning. Uh, and a lot of the Church of the Force stuff came up with those guys, for the group of, from the Church of Force returning the kyber crystals to the rightful place and paying a price for it, dying. And this is what they do. It's part of their mission. And from that, they talk about you get kind of this, uh, uh, the gray force users comes up again. Yeah. It, it, which is this weird thing that comes up a lot now in Star Wars.
2: Yeah. And I don't like the gray Jedi because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, I like all the characters and I like all right. the things that people like about them. But just as a term, I feel like if you're mm-hmm. a Jedi, you're a Jedi and you're struggling to live up to this right. code. Right. And uh, and that's a kind of character. And then there's people who are sensitive to the Force, right? can feel it or believe in it, uh, but are not. Uh, of the code of Jedi, They're yeah. not indoctrinated as a Jedi or a Sith, and I think that is really fascinating because it makes it
3: a religion. Yeah, yeah, and it does make it a religion. But it, and and it, combined with the Bendu showing up with in Rebels, which I like so far. I'm so I'm actually curious want more about yeah uh, the Bendu to come out. But yeah, I thought that the fact that that's kind of put out there as well, and that you are seeing especially with Rogue One and you know and Lor San Tekka being yeah. part of this Church of the Force, it's it's an interesting thing and seeing where that plays out in the next phase of Star Wars stories. Yeah. Indirectly
2: tying that we learn, we meet Lor Senteca, we meet, not in words, but, you know, the, yeah. the Church of the Force in Force Awakens, then we super double down on Kyber Crystals in Rogue One, and then this one interlude brings them together. Yeah. That really ties, and then it happens on Christophsis, which mm-hmm. is the planet from the Clone Wars yeah. intro movie. Yeah. Is even more, like, tying all sorts of bits and pieces together.
3: And a couple of big ones left here in the interludes, but we. Uh, i got to get your take on Cobb Vanth yeah. and the Red Key Raiders and everything going on on Tatooine, which yeah. began in Aftermath and was one of those things that. Um in Life Debt, when the interlude pops up and this guy Cobb Vanth is running around and Malachili is saved by him and you realize, oh, he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. I was like, oh, that's new. And I think even you were like, well, no, no. It was in the first Aftermath. And I went back and read that interlude. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. That, was I asleep during this interlude? But yes, that's where he gets the, the armor from the Jawas. Um, so a lot there to this character, yeah. I think played out pretty nice in this weird western mm-hmm. this tattooing western i'm a lawman i'm a sheriff what's your take on Cobb Vanth?
2: i feel like uh you know you know when you're watching this doesn't happen as much anymore but you know when you're watching a television series and then one episode is clearly just given away to a backdoor pilot yes a couple of these episodes yes. just feel like I enjoyed that strange backdoor pilot you did for
3: something else. And like Is it like the backdoor pilot that never went from Gilmore Girls where Jess goes to Venice Beach, California? Exactly. Exactly. And like Rob that. Estes is his father. I yeah. learned a lot from Gilmore Girls,
2: Joseph. I learned a lot. <laughs> We're gonna talk more about that. I got oh, to, yeah, there's, there's some Star Wars content in Gilmore Girls that we should review. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I love the actual Cobb Vanth character. I think I got a little distracted because like so much of the book was about resolution. Mm-hmm. In a couple of the interludes, I would mm-hmm. say the Cobb Vanth one. Uh, Church of the Force, Acolytes of the Beyond, the weird pirate scoundrels who had captured the, the Star, Star, Star Destroyer. Star, yeah. They all felt like the the little mini arcs of these characters were mm. resolved, but they all were looking into the horizon yes. for what other adventures we could have. Yes. I think Cobb Vanth was probably the juiciest because it does seem to be like kind of telling us who he is, but inviting us to wonder. Yeah. Uh, I've seen speculation, is that actually Boba Fett? But he says explicitly that he was a slave on Tatooine. Right. So, l- l-
3: let's answer that question. Yeah. Do you think it is?
2: Uh, no, I think that he is a slave on Tatooine.
3: Okay, you take it for what it is.
2: I, th- I take it for what it is because it makes it an interesting story and it offers resolution to the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And all these writers, I yes. think, want to do cleanup jobs on yeah. things that they think were left dangling in the fact that it was this hut-controlled planet that everybody's just like, yeah, slavery. Slavery. yeah, that's fine. So the <laughs> idea of, it kind of resolves this big Star Wars story of like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. And like, what's he doing with that? Why does he want the baby hut? Is it just a symbol of power? Is he going to reinstate a hut and control under the hut? Yeah. Is he going to use it as leverage? Like, there's a lot dangling there. Yeah. And I do just like, I like the Marshall story. I feel like, Anything with Boba Fett, we're gonna to start to get stories about Django was never a Mandalorian, which mm-hmm. is yeah. canon. Yeah. Why does Boba Fett have that armor? Where did he get it? Somebody even accuses it of being a knockoff of right. real Mandalorian armor. So I think it also invites a lot of questions of, of Django and Boba in the history yeah. of that armor itself.
3: Yeah, I don't think Cobb Vanth is Boba Fett to like a eighty five, ninety percent. Yeah degree um that line i think it's in the it's in life debt where malakili the rancor keeper and Cobb vince like don't i know you didn't i wait i know you you're familiar and malakili's only been in the palace during that time is intriguing it could be anything but at the end of the day i think you're gonna find out more and yeah the slavery angle you're right it's hard to turn away from that and it doesn't make any sense for the boba fett character to be like you know what i got out i'm gonna stick around and be a good guy now
2: yeah I like the idea that I think Boba Fett survived, and I, it's only more yeah. interesting to say, like, well, what? why did he leave his armor behind? Where did he go? Yeah, What's that's actually
3: really intriguing to
2: me. Yeah. yeah. So, so I like that, because, you know, mm-hmm. if we're going to spend more time with Boba Fett, he's got to be more than cool armor. Yeah which he is now. Um,
3: so, but that, that interlude in the end, with some of my favorites through all of the books. Yeah. Especially going back around the Red Key Raiders or these uh, you know miners coming in, moving in, and it's Cobb Vance town. It's very old Western John yeah, Wayne. totally yeah. is. Totally is. Could be something, a uh, comic series down the line? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, all right. Feed Naboo. Yeah. Misa wants to talk about this interlude with oh, you. Oh, Misa wants to too. Okie okay Day. <laughs> you, my palo. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put my cards on the table. I loved it. Me, like it. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I thought it was perfect.
2: I, I feel like you and I had this conversation maybe on Jedi Alliance when mm-hmm. you were hosting and, and I was a guest. Mm-hmm. That the best that you can hope for for the intention of Jar Jar mm-hmm. is exactly what we got, which is a sad clown. Yeah, which is a, a noble fool who is actually a little legitimately dumb. <laughs> realize dumb and clumsy gets old enough to realize i'm gonna i'm gonna lean into it and try to spread some joy (laughs) yeah it makes sense of his his gooniness yeah it it, in a meta way it calls back to the fact that yeah jar jar's style of humor feels out of place to a lot of people in the phantom menace so the idea that he is doing things on purpose like we you know you know two seconds later in order to make that Poor orphan laugh. He's stepping in some some doo on yeah. purpose. Yeah. So like, and he's sticking his head into electricity and you know losing control of his tongue. Like now he's doing that stuff. Yeah. On purpose. On
3: purpose. It is on great. purpose. And talk about going meta. Talk about going cheeky. The fact that Wendig uh, and and I'm sure. I'm sure this chapter, this interlude, was discussed in some meeting at Lucasfilm. Guys, we're bringing Jar Jar back here. Um, this notion of playing around with Jar Jar, basically saying, "Ah, everyone banished me because they think I helped the Empire, like I was a Sith or something." <laughs> Just a yeah. uh, fun nod and wink, and done in a and done in a great way. Well, it works. It works
2: for wild theories about, yeah, he is a Sith, yeah, uh, and it also works as he, he did call for he did call. the emergency powers so yeah it is le- legitimately his fault yeah i mean he was manipulated and everything i think uh there's a tweet going way back where uh wendig said i have got an idea for off to let me so i think this came from, oh, okay. from, you're, from his. you're right i do remember that.
3: and was I'd love, accepted I'd love to talk to him about that yeah if i see him at celebration i got a drink in me i'm cornering that guy again yeah I met him once, shook his hand, and 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 praised him for using the Rancor car keeper. Oh yeah, uh, um, if uh, the Jar Jar, it was it was for what we are as prequelists, doesn't mean we love Jar Jar either. No, um, as well I should say. But uh, I turned that I turned that cha- that that and they've gone on the boo before. Yeah, um, and uh, I, once I turned that that interlude and saw the Boo, I was like oh, and I knew that that story had kind of broke that. The fate of Jar Jar revealed. I was yeah. like, here we go.
4: Yeah.
2: Clap
3: my hands. and So good. You know the
2: lore of The Day the Clown Cried, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a famous
2: it. movie that Jerry Lewis made. Oh, and yes, yeah, yeah. Realized it was horrible and never released, that he is a, a clown, uh, you know, trying to amuse children at a concentration camp, which is obviously, you know, a hard tone to strike, which is why the film was never released. Right, right. This almost feels like a, certainly not concentration camp, mm-hmm. but I, I think really using that... Um, real world sadness of an orphan that nobody else wants yeah and this sad weird creature will use his meager skills to be silly yeah to you know entertain this child who's lonely it's like it's definitely like some violin strings moments but it it works and it ties the absurdity of jar jar (laughs) to the overall story of aftermath what is the aftermath of the the huge galactic war like well they're Orphans.
3: That's one of them. You
2: know, and they might get entertained by a silly, idiotic, civilization destroying Gungan.
3: So as we look towards uh, the end of the story and the end of our discussion here, though, I want to pause and st- or, or stop off on the interludes uh, revolving around the Acolytes of B- Beyond. Yeah. Uh, we got Kiza and Remy are kind of the main ones, and they go back to some of the early stuff of uh, the interludes featuring the Acolytes. Yupp Tashu, who um, I saw that picture going around. Some people were, were uh, here's Yupp uh, Tashu in Return of the Jedi, and it's not. It's Similu and our good friend Janice grejadis Yeah. Um, I believe this is of the same... Crew, but never seen thus far. I think
2: he's got a fancy hat too, but yeah. it's not the same hat as Simulu or Janus Grigiatus. Yeah.
3: Um, so this is a character again, appeared in Life Dead. I think also an Aftermath. I mean, he's been around this whole series, but you kind of, I wasn't paying attention until now. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Now this character's got some grave importance. He's, he's ahead of the Acolytes. He's no longer with us. <laughs> little galley pushed him down. Uh, All of the emperor uh, being thrown off the, uh, the balcony there. Um, the Acolytes are, are, are intriguing. It was one of the things I loved about Aftermath, that interlude of these mysterious people buying what they believed to be Vader's lightsaber mm-hmm. and collecting these relics and what it meant. And, and, and immediately it kind of tied to Kylo in a lot of people's minds, mm-hmm. what Kylo was there with the Knights of Ren and who they are and, and his praising of his, of his and worshiping of his grandfather for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. So the Acolytes, Knights of Ren, this is where we're going? Yes. I think yes.
2: I think that that is not, it's not stated, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to misdirect to anything else. Mm -hmm. I think explicitly tying together, uh, Yuptasu is commanding Mm -hmm. them that the emperor had taught him all of his mysterious Sith opinions and facts. Right. Uh, And then knowing that it was Tashu's intent to go into the the beyond where Mm -hmm. the Knights of Ren, I think, come from
3: Mm -hmm. i think it just all makes too much sense yeah it's one of those walk like walks like a duck talks like a duck at tonight of ren (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly the the thing with the masks and the connecting this this power and the the, getting these visions of former sith and present sith or future sith and just sith visions and the use of these sith artifacts which has been an interesting it's an interesting thing because it ties to the emperor and his ships and his 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 pursuit of the, the Sith Pass. it ties into Vader's castle on Mustafar being supposedly built over a key thing in the yeah. Sith Pass. the Jedi temple built on a Sith temple or all this kind of it, it yeah. keeps popping back up and I've been watching a lot of the clone wars stuff too with the Mortis episodes I've been watching rewatching a lot of that and Yoda's in the lost uh, lost missions his final those final episodes of the clone wars it, it, you're getting to some deep deep dark Sith themes yeah And which could tie to Snoke as well, you know? Yeah, and
2: I feel like that, uh, this interlude with the sort of, um, I'm going to say, like, fetishization of the masks and the holocrons in everything that they like, that there is a dark power in them. Right. Um, And almost as very, like, goth teenagers sort of like, it's so dark. Like, yeah. I think that's great because it it pays off all of those clues that you're talking about. Like, there's dark, scary Sith things. Like, okay, great. Well, eventually we need to see some dark, scary Sith things. Right. So that chapter where, like, a person put on the mask and felt the power of Vader's alleged blade. And like, okay, great. Now here's some dark Sith stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this character Kiza, who shows up, I believe in Life Dead is the first time she really pops up. She's kind of working the front desk, and those police officers get killed, and and or one of them is is allowed to live. But the the, the uprising of the acolytes, yeah. uh, on this planet, she's like this, uh, you know, been sexually harassed by this guy and all this stuff, and he's yeah. like, well, you're the one, yeah, and, you know. Uh, so for her, she gets this power by killing Remy. Um, it's some dark stuff. It's it, it yeah. really plays into the the dark side. So yeah, I I, I it's like uh, you want to kind of form some other theory or anything. But, yeah, if you look at the shots that we've seen of the Knights of Ren, weird weapons, masks, all that stuff. A little bit of hodgepodge
2: nature to them. And and they are the acolytes of the beyond, Beyond. which is literally, you know, the the next galaxy over.
3: Yeah. And uh, what Yptosu, you know, this this, uh, crazy uh, emperor's uh, right-hand dude leading them. It all makes sense. And it would make sense that Kylo... Would uh, be like, oh, you guys are worshiping Darth Vader? Guess what?
2: I am his grandson. <laughs> yeah. It really does complete the sort of uh, hot topicness of Kylo Ren, <laughs> which is in his character. We're like, we don't <laughs> fully understand the darkness, but we want to be a part of it, so we'll buy a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing that with, like, yeah. Sith artifacts, yeah. you
3: know? So the Acolytes and top, uh, top, uh, Yup Tashu start to tie in into the end of the book, which is uh, just... I loved the ending and even though I had those like, well, does this mean more than the original trilogy thought, uh I enjoyed it then, I enjoyed it more now when I stopped to really think about it. Here. Yeah. Uh I love Sloane kind of dangling between good and bad in the end and choosing not bad, but choosing her own personal, yeah. you know, uh goals and missions and rebuilding A an empire, her empire, yeah. but not so the emperor's plan. Um, I did you Was Galileus Rax a, a formidable p- opponent or foe for you, a, a, a big baddie? Was he Was he, did he, Was he? he good enough for you? Because I know a lot of people maybe wanted more.
2: Um, I did not want more because I think the empire is overcrowded with brilliant tacticians. And especially yes. we're telling the Thrawn story now. We're going to get his book. He's the brilliant tactician. Let yeah. him be brilliant. Uh, Palpatine is the great... Uh, foreseer uh vader is the great enforcer um so i liked that he had this little niche where it's like you're a value because you come from this place and you're you're my backup yeah and he tries to kind of become more than that and do it his own way yeah he doesn't quite make it like i feel like that's a great story i don't think he's snoke
3: yeah Um, i don't think i can see
2: the the desire to to feel like those dots are being connected right um so I felt like this is a great character that that was a, a interesting enough character for me and served the plot of this book trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I we, I don't need every character to go on and be bigger than what they
3: are. Yeah, I I I um I agree with you there. I I, I... <sighs> You know, do I need a bigger antagonist? No, you know, the Empire still thought they were the remnants of it. There's a lot of, um, but there's enough bad guys in this for me. And I agree with you, too. I didn't need another, you know, initially, I like the Rax character. I yeah. actually really do. But you're right, because that's what Thrawn was in the original stuff. Um, Zon's trilogy. He was a new leader of the Empire who you never heard of before because he was off doing this stuff. Yeah. And then we like it. And Thrawn's mentioned very prominently in this book towards the end of, of his knowledge of the unknown regions is key. And we're going to – I'm sure going to get a lot of that oh, yeah. in the Thrawn novel. Um, but yeah, I liked that Rex – there was a reason he was off to the sidelines. Um, but you could – you know, Sloane's little detective work kind of finding a picture of him early on. Yeah. You know, like a weird weird black and white photo that the camera moves in on. Like there's a little kid sitting on Palpatine's lap uh, on Jakku with T- Yuppatashu. I liked all that. I just – did. yeah, I didn't need uh, – he went out in a really quiet, subtle way for me. Yeah. Um, and it was weird, not not weird, but just the way he was like, "All right, oh you you got me, Sloan. Go on and do good work for us, though." Uh, wasn't a bad moment, just like okay, that's that's his exit. Yeah, because then it became more about we've created the new enemy that we're going to get to learn, which is the First Order.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I like mm-hmm. that. Ultimately, the the way his story was told, all this mystery swirled around him, and it made you think like, oh, maybe he is this great Sith power. And slowly and surely, that got pulled back until the point we got like he's. In, you know, he's in, in I was going to say the basement of Jakku. He's underground in Jakku (laughs) saying, all this force stuff is dumb. In fact, I'm going to push this force idiot over and I Mm. am another angry, bitter guy who wants power. And in a way, that's kind of a a cool story to build up the reader thinking that he's going to be this great malevolent power. And he's just another angry
3: person trying to pull the strings. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the stuff with Hux. Yeah, Both with Brendel Hux, who's just a mess yeah. and a horrible person, <laughs> and then Armitage, his son, who we know now as General Hux, yes. on this book on which I'm built. Um, <laughs> the beginning of the First Order, a lot of it starting with these little weird orphans, these, again, almost like little birds or like little Arya Starks yeah. um, going around. Um, and a mention of Phasma, very clearly. Tall yeah. blonde woman with a girl with shaved, like a shaved close cropped haircut um uh, did, did you like that? Because I, I do like it. I like that this – that makes some sense. Yeah, absolutely. How they're going to get this first order. They just hire people, put a job offer uh, app out there, you know, sign up to come to the unknown regions. Like,
2: yeah, and in Force Awakens it did have a little bit of that, like, well, you, you either get clones or
3: you get droids or yeah. you kidnap children from birth. Yeah, and Huck says it. My my troopers are great. They've been trained since birth. He says that in Force Awakens. Yeah, and that he's kind yeah. of always
2: been of them and yeah. was – yeah. Know, we get to see the moment where he's kind of promoted to be yeah in charge of them is really cool you know in in force awakens it had a rhythm with oh it, isn't, that's kind of how the jedi did things so how is this different so getting to see in this book like yeah. oh they're taught to be feral from birth mm. the only thing you know and i really like that sloan you know uh makes his personal connection with him yeah as a young boy and you know seeks to bring out his cruelty <laughs> uh there's a little bit of ju- Ku having, you know, completing its transition into the new Tatooine where small off-world place where
3: big things happen. And now like
2: (laughs) a lot of our characters are intimately connected to Jakku where they come back during The Force Awakens.
3: Yeah, which almost makes it slightly weird when it's like you sometimes get those, uh, the prequels created questions in the original trilogy and all that kind of stuff where now I'm like, even Han, no one really is like oh, Jakku, you mean the planet where dot, dot, dot? It's just like, you mean the backwater planet no one's heard of? It's like, clearly everybody's heard heard of. Yeah. You know, yeah, the Battle of Jakku, everyone knew, but it's like, that, you know, Nora Wexley spends a lot of time there, Justin Murray, there's all that Neeman, all that stuff's happening on Jakku and now the little orphan soldiers. Yeah. Even I, you know, I guess I wouldn't have, I wouldn't expect Hux and Force Awakens to be like, oh, hey, I, I haven't been to Jakku since my childhood. Like, I, you know. Yeah,
2: but now when I read this book, I want a shot in The Force <laughs> Awakens where like Hux stares down at the planet and like puts his hands up to the glass and is like, Jakku,
3: where it all began where for I, me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah.
2: But there's no sense of that in the movie, and there's never going to be.
3: Yeah, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that there. So they go off and go uh, searching for the unknown regions. Now, immediately, I started getting nerd chills when I'm reading the Observatory and the purpose of it, and they're going to the unknown regions, and all this stuff's been building with Palpatine hearing something. Because, you know, now, you know, your Snoke theory doesn't suck if you think that he's some alien out there. on Vong or otherwise. I don't know. He's got to be.
2: That has been my theory for a long time. It has. Because they have been dropping these hints in new canon books forever about what's beyond who is at the edge. And then they started really doubling down. So, yeah, I think, Mm -hmm. um, I think based on how Han and Leia seem to really clearly know who Snoke is. Yep. I think that there is going to be a, a continuing, you know, connection. Right. With the galaxy we know with the galaxy next door. And I think Snoke is going to come from there. I think maybe he's the presence that, uh, Palpatine is thinking he's feeling from, the far away far unknown away. unknown spaces uh so there yeah so i i like all that and i do think that snoke is going to be a figure from the beyond
3: and and now we we got some interesting stuff cuz you know sloan is going out there the eclipse is already out there a lot of speculation whether or not maybe you know it's thrown on there all that kind of yeah. stuff um i like the detective work And, and life dead is where sloan first finds out the eclipse is missing and you kind of forget that and all of a sudden it's Key part of this, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I love that we don't see who's on that ship, and I love it's mystery. And I like that Sloan there because uh, unless she shows up in eight and nine, she's not there in episode seven. Yeah, it's a long time. Well, and I specifically really like that
2: uh, her clear vision of the Empire is mm-hmm. she's got a from my point of view, and she's like, yeah, it's cruel and evil. And then there there whispers that this guy's a, a weird, you know, yeah. <laughs> evil sorcerer. But I just believe in order. Yeah. And, like, that's this tiny bit of, like, defensible view of the Empire of, like, hey, being really organized makes people's lives better. Right. And she wants to make the First Order. But clearly at some point, Snoke... Comes in and is like hey by the yeah. way remember all that evil sorcerer yeah. stuff still there <laughs> uh, get the F out Sloan because we're going back to evil sorcerer town yeah
3: and and there's got to be more and that's what I'm excited more more's got to come yeah on what happened um and then uh and, and, and closing it there as we as we wrap up the look of the book one of the things I really loved about this ending was when force awakens comes comes out and we start learning what's going on and we're gonna get the first order and the first order, the first order pretty much is the Empire with new gear yeah but same tie fighters just painted different, and, and you know the Star killer base, which was still not one of my favorite things, but it is what it is, um, there was I'm speaking from from my point of view a little bit of like, okay, it's the same thing redone. yep, how do they get these people to join the first order, and oh, political upheaval, and yeah, I can kind of see it now it's really clear, yeah. Not only just getting these little orphan kids and turn them into killers to start the First Order and then you can recruit from there. But then you got, you know, signals sent out and more people that the Emperor Palpatine trusted are going to the Eclipse yeah. as well. It's not just Sloan and these people in the Imperialis or this version of the Imperialis. Um, and then it starts to make sense that these people can be like, we're going to do it again, but better. And that includes a bigger, better Death Star. Yeah. It's like, oh, OK, you Star Wars counseled me. Empire's End. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I think a
2: a little bit of almost irony in the title in that Mm -hmm. it's fluid. The Empire never ended. Right. They just went to the faraway place to rebuild and to very purposefully do the same thing again.
3: Because we had heard another material of, yep, the Galactic Concordance was signed and the Empire kind of was shoved to the unknown regions and used Stay where you want to stay, and Massamita, you're just going to stick around in your your condo, but you're not in charge of anything. <laughs> um, and that was kind of not thrown away, but it was. Uh, now we're getting the full answer, and it makes sense to me. I'm happy with that ending. Yeah, yeah. absolutely we got a couple uh, – I want to go over a couple fan uh, questions there. Yeah, it's a yeah, long absolutely, episode. Yeah. Uh, some of the stuff we may already have touched upon, but uh, we got some stuff here, Joseph. Uh, I didn't want to, Isaac Foxworth on Facebook, he asks us directly, is Thrawn in command of the Superstar Destroyer out there in the unknown region? So yes or no answer from you. Prediction?
2: Uh, I think that would be really cool if he was because I think it would tie mm. together. And I think the fact that we're getting more of him in Rebels and a book makes it seem likely.
3: It. it I, I am going to say yes now Yeah. with the idea that I'm probably wrong, but yeah, it seems to be. And then that would put him in an interesting, almost similar point where he is at Heir to the Empire. Yeah. where he's been out in the unknown regions doing some work, and now he's like, oh, all right, I got, i I'm in charge now, huh? Okay. Yeah. And you, maybe it ties into Snoke and Sloan and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It'd be and interesting.
2: It'd it be was. really interesting if Thrawn was like, oh, I study people, I study their weaknesses. You know what the real weakness yeah. of the New Republic is? Darth Vader's grandson. Why don't you guys go cozy up to him?
3: <laughs> uh, Griff Clayball asks, not much of a theory, but what do you think the odds are that Ray Sloan is still alive by the time in The Force Awakens' Last Jedi? Uh, we talk about this potential power struggle or 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 Snoke uh, being there. Is there an older, older, older version of Sloan that we're yet to see? Uh,
2: I don't think so. I, the more we're talking about it, I feel like they have also created just a lot of storytelling with what's going on in the First Order, because now we know these characters and... Mm-hmm. That story of uh, you know how does Ray Sloan get pushed out? Does she get pushed out? Yeah, you know I'm interested. I'm more interested to hear that story in a right. book or a comic book than I am to see Ray pop up. That's in sequel era.
3: That's fair because you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't get the whole chance to really dive in. Yeah. All right, and we got some questions also on Twitter too.
2: Yeah, Richie Cuz at Richie Cuz One says, uh, "Why did Han and Leia call their son Ben?" I never met Obi-Wan, and Han didn't seem close to him. Uh, I wanted to tackle that one because um, it has come up on Twitter of the writers that mm-hmm. Claudia Gray had an idea, and mm-hmm. it was nixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned, Chuck Wendig clarifies that he's been solo. Mm-hmm. And we also know that Chuck Wendig was like, if there's any problem in Star Wars, let me have a crack at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. it's intriguing to me that Lucasfilm doesn't want to answer this question yet, which makes me think that Mm. either they have something with it Mm -hmm. or it's just a scab they don't
3: want picked. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never really, when when Han yells Ben, I went like, yeah, yay. Exactly. Didn't think much more about it. Uh, I'm a bad Star Wars media discussioner. (laughs) No, you're not. Um, But this is, I've seen this pop up a little bit now recently. And, you know, I look at it as, yeah, Leia never really met him, but she clearly knew him. That was her mission. Um, Han, cantankerous interactions with him early on, but obviously eventually knows the importance. And maybe, just maybe, when choosing who to name their kid, Anakin wasn't really a choice. Yep. Um, Jason, not a choice. Um, <laughs> Chad. Jaina, not a choice. Um, but that uh, they're like, hey, you know, we're together because this old crazy wizard sacrificed himself to. Take down a uh, shield, a tractor beam, and, and that's that's how that's how we met, honey. Yeah,
2: how, did, how Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Yeah. How to? Uh, because he's the one who ultimately mm-hmm. brought us together. You went looking for him. He found me. and he, yeah. he brought us together. Um, that's why. Yeah, and if uh, if Uncle Luke has any say. This is a crazy headcanon thing. Yeah. Maybe Ben communicated with Leia. She's a great at Le- reach out in the force. Yeah. He's still one with the force. Yeah. You know, I think it's a natural question to ask because it's uh, it's kind of a uh, what what could Han Solo have yelled out in that moment that would have had resonance? Mm-hmm. He can't yell Steve or some <laughs> weird space name we've never heard. Anakin is too on the two nose. Uh, Obi Wan. Obi Wan. So so Ben was one of the few names they have that had weight. Mm-hmm. So it made sense in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I love your answer. I've uh, been brought Could them together. Uh, uh, this is from Mike Williams with the recent update on Jar Jar and Empire's end. Do you think that his fate or in general, the way the prequels are treated by Lucasfilm is in any way disrespectful to George and what he created?
3: Uh, I I don't. It's a fair question, Mike. Uh, I don't. I th- I see it in a way of kind of protecting it. Yeah. Um, and saying, hey, we know what this character caused, and what a lot of people feel. And then and again, like I said, even addressing these Jar Jar as a Sith type of things that fans are having fun with. I think this this end wraps it up in a nice way, like we talked about uh, a few minutes ago. I, I I think it is in a way of saying this character exists, and we're going to make it work. Yeah. In this new era.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think especially, the, I think in general they're being super respectful to the prequel era. Uh, mm-hmm. Early on in Force Awakens production, I think they had some reassuring things. Like, we're using practical effects. But mm-hmm. I don't feel like Lucasfilm is saying a lot of things like that now that are that are subtle sideburns on the prequels. And like the Jar Jar, you know, George created him to make, in George's mind, to make kids coming to Phantom Menace laugh. Right. And to then to just make that real in the Star Wars canon that Jar Jar likes to make kids laugh. Mm-hmm. So that seems really sh- respectful to me.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, next up, from Mark Knope uh Temin, snap wexley from aftermath novels was in the force awakens do you think more characters from those books should or will appear in the sequel trilogy and do you have actors or actresses in mind to play those characters i would love to see sinjar wrath Vellis on screen he's my favorite non-movie character so kind of a couple questions in there do you think we'll see these and if so which characters do you want to see played by who
3: <laughs> yeah um i i do um i like that connection of snap you know, going back and appearing. It was like yeah, we saw him yeah. on screen first and back. I I like that um, when characters pop up, uh, when Evan Verlaine pops up in the Leia comic and then again in Bloodline mentioned and, and all that kind of stuff. I I like that kind of stuff. So um, I I like um, I like the idea that these some of these people can uh, show up. I, I don't have any actors in mind at all, but uh Singer makes sense In aid, it wouldn't be announced unless they're keeping it secret. But you know, if he goes in this kind of political career, he'd be very old. Yeah. But like you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. I could be good with that. Uh, yeah. I, Ray Sloan in some way, but I I, I don't want... The older Ray Sloan wouldn't work. Showing up in Rebels or something like that. Yeah, or, Rebels. Or a new series would work Yeah, as well.
2: or the Han Solo movie. Uh, yeah, I I agree with uh, Mark. I love Sinjarath Valas. He's probably mm-hmm. uh, Velas, He's probably my favorite character. I absolutely imagine him uh, being played by Sean Pertwee. Mm-hmm uh who is the son of John Pertwee the 3rd doctor from Dr Who mm-hmm. and uh, has had a, an illustrious uh, movie and television career he's currently playing Alfred on Gotham okay and i think he's got you know yeah you know he's about the, the right age and has kind of like this right sort of kind but leathery toughness to him so i would love to see that i was just thinking i'd love to see uh singer pop up in rebels since we know what he's doing we know he's a imperial torturer mm-hmm so that would be great. Mm, that would if, oh, uh, be, makes sense. Kanan gets captured by Singer. Yeah. Um, but f- I would love to see other characters just appear in the movies. Mm-hmm. Real quick uh, Sucky Snoke Theory? Yeah. There is a description that I need to read again. When Singer gets uh, shot in the head, mm-hmm. there's a description of the gash on his head. That's similar? That sounded like Wendy going, please, please go. Everywhere and say Cinder is Snoke, <laughs> so
3: maybe Cinder will be Snoke. Maybe, maybe, My maybe Snoke theory might. That suck. would be a way to get a character on screen.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so th- that's it uh, for, for the questions. Uh, yeah. we got uh, we got a couple more, but the episodes going long, so we'll save them for yeah. other times.
3: Super long episode, but I think uh, the book deserves kind of a deep dive, and it's nice to kind of stretch my wings uh, and, and discuss Star Wars with you at length, Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this book was uh, absolutely one of my favorites, and I think in the end, the Aftermath trilogy, it started a little uh, maligned, like we said. It is essential reading if you want to know all about new canon and where Star Wars is going. It really does wrap up a lot, like you said, phase one, so to speak, of Star Wars, but yeah. it sets up a lot more, and, and it's just a, a really, at the end of the day, it's fun. If you put them all together there's a lot of cool mysteries and a lot of cool reveals and I absolutely think Empire's End and Aftermath as a, as a whole is something you should all read.
2: Absolutely. You know, I closed Empire's End, and I wanted to watch The Force Awakens, so mission accomplished. I did. I did.
3: I did. Guys, we are growing and asking you to help us in that path, uh, on that path. Keep the Twitter follower rise going. If you haven't followed us already, go to Twitter, at ForceCenterPod. We're trying to get 2,000 followers on Facebook. The likes are growing as well. 1,000 likes. Uh, You know, I know we talk about doing Facebook Live. I'm definitely going to be doing it, Star Wars Celebration, Force Center Facebook Live. Nice. I'll be doing a lot of work with Collider and Jedi Council so I'll be doing, uh, I'll be busy, but I'm going to sneak away and do some reactions and stuff on uh, the Facebook Live page. Uh, iTunes, rating reviews, you know, a lot of success this week thanks to you guys on iTunes. Our ratings and reviews are up. We're at 137 range. We would like to get that to 150. If you haven't already, just, we don't need a paragraph. Some of you have written some really nice words, uh, a five-star rating and uh, and, uh, these guys are good or these guys uh, drink whiskey a lot, but we like them. (laughs) That really, really helps us as we are climbing. Joseph, good news this week on the Ratings and rankings on iTunes.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were up in the list of the top two hundred uh, TV and film podcasts on mm-hmm. iTunes, which is great. That stuff uh, really does matter. The more uh, ratings and reviews we get, the more we consistently mm-hmm. pop there. And if we, you know, we stay there, people people look at that when they're making decisions about who to invite for uh, conventions and yeah. things like that. Uh, and we would love to be doing some full force center fun at conventions and things like that.
3: Absolutely, you can follow me at Ken Napsack. Joseph. They can follow you. At Joseph Scrimshaw on all the social
2: media. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all of my adventures. I feel I should probably be mentioning more often on my Star Wars <laughs> podcast that I co-host that I have a Star Wars comedy
3: album. Yeah. It's called Rebel Scum. You can find it on my website, josephscrimshaw.com. Absolutely, guys. We hope you enjoyed this longer and deeper dive into Aftermath, Empires, and until next time, start building your Singer is Snoke theories.